0: a guest speaker who has spoken internationally at the time of Just a little bit of, you know, I joked about last week when I told you who my guest speaker would be. A few years ago, I started getting phone calls. And people were asking me, are you speaking at this convention? I said, no. Are you speaking at this hotel? I said, no. They said, well, you're advertised in different places. And I said, no, I'm sorry, <laughs> it's not me. And then I started to do some research to see who is this person with a similar name that I have, right? My last name is Dr. Z. Rabbi Silver, and then I saw, when I did my research, I came across Rabbi Silver's website, the she wrote. And I was blown away by the best the, the shiurim that he's given on all different subjects in Torah. And I actually listened to a, a few as well at some uh, southern shiurim and the And Baruch Hashem, we had a tremendous opportunity of children a rabbinical Baltimore, a, an international lecturer, to inspire us as we head into Purim
1: it's without further introduction, I'm supposed to introduce to you Rabbi right. good morning, everyone. It is an uh, incredible to be here with you. To thank Rabbi Zilber for allowing me to share with all of you just a few words, in anticipation of Purim, Akkam, Yamtev, and it's always special to come into a school that's filled with so much potential. Anytime you come to a place like this, you see young women who are maturing Baruch Hashem from children into young adults, then into adults, hopefully actualizing your potential, finding your co-host, becoming the best version of yourselves. And so it's really special to be able to tap in. I, I, I always feel privileged to come to speak in schools because the truth is I get so much chizuk from just seeing young people who are hopefully excited about life, excited about learning, excited about what the future holds. So I'm going to share with you, Rosh Hashanah a few insights on Quran. You know, there's an amazing Rambam. I'll start with the Rambam, and then again, if at any point I'm going to ask you to participate. I don't like to lecture, especially at schools. So Amir Tzachem, we'll learn together a little bit. But I'll start us off with the Rambam. The Rambam says, this is a Rambam in Hilchos Migillah, and then Rambam says something amazing, called Sifrei Hanevim v'chalak suvim asidin libatel limos hamashiach chutz. I mean Esther. One more time, called Sifrei Hanevim v'chalak suvim asidin libatel limos hamashiach chutz. I mean Esther. Anyone want to venture? What does it mean? What does it mean? I so see you're about to put up your hand. No, no. Okay. Any any thoughts? Alright, I'll start you off with this one. The Ramam says something amazing. Mashiach comes, Mashiach comes, all of Nach, Nadim and Ksuvin, are kind of going to stop learning them. They're going to be relegated to a second tier of importance, with the exception of Megillah Sasson. Now let's talk about this in just a moment. Why would you think that the books of Nach, that Sifrei Nach, Nadim and Ksuvin, would be relegated, would be set aside to a secondary importance of Mashiach comes? Why is that? Do they talk here? They, they don't talk? <laughs> they don't talk? They're very quiet. mamish. Okay, any thoughts? To to yes. Who's going to be the Nachshon Ben-Amin Nadav? right? Who's going to jump into the answer first? Right, so again, okay, I'll get you started with this one again. So on a basic level, remember, so much of Nevi'im and Ksuvim is focused on Nivuas from, from, from Mashiach. So much of Nevi'im and Ksuvim is about telling us about what was, preparing us for what will be. So when Mashiach comes, Hashem, Bekarov, so many of the stories, the narratives, the lessons contained in the and Ksuvim will simply not be relevant. You know, it's like there's a machlokis in the Gemara about whether or not we're going to make reference to Yetzias Mitzrayim when Mashiach comes. Speaking of Makhlokis in the Gemara, you know, everything we do now is Zechel Yetzias Mitzrayim, to remember the fact that we left Egypt. So the Gemara records an opinion that says when Mashiach comes, we're going to stop talking about Yitzias Mitzrayim, but instead we're going to speak about Mashiach. So along the same lines that Rambam says, all of Nadim and Kesuvim are going to kind of be relegated to a secondary level of importance, with one exception. And what's the one exception? Megillah Esther. That Megillah Esther is so profound, and Megillah Esther is so incredibly important that even when Mashiach comes, can you imagine this? all of the other Svarim, of Anvim and Ksuvim, we're not really going to read. We're not really going to learn. But, Megillus Esther is always going to occupy a role, a central importance. So I have to ask you why, what would you say? What's so special about Megillas Esther more than any other book, more than any other Sefer, Anvim and Ksuvim, that even when Mashiach comes, we're going to continue to learn it. What would you say? Anyone? Yes? And therefore? Beautiful. Beautiful. Excellent. Excellent. Well deserved. Well deserved. Excellent. Hey, beautiful. The truth is, there are many themes which we'll talk about in Megillah Sester, but one of the incredible things is that the name of Hashem is not mentioned once. But yet, again, the Megillah is the story of Hashkoch HaPratis. The Megillah is a story that the Ribano shal Olam guides each and every step we take, guides each and every event which unfolds in our life. And maybe that lesson of Hashkacha, maybe that lesson of the involvement of the Ribano Shal Olam and everything in our lives is so important, so important that we're going to continue to learn it even when Mashiach comes. Excellent. Any other thoughts? Why Megillah Esther is so incredibly important? Nothing. Okay, so I'll continue a little bit. You'll chime in, emirat Hashem. So I want to share with you a couple of ideas as to why I think that Megillah Esther is of pivotal importance, so important, that at the end of the day, even when comes, we're going to continue to learn it. Number one, Megillah Esther teaches us the important lesson of self-esteem. Positive self-image. Positive self-esteem. Now you ask yourself: If I were to ask you, where do you see self-esteem in the Megillah? What would you say? Where can you find an episode of self-esteem or a lack of self-esteem? Esther? Esther. She didn't want to go help the she didn't think that she could help. Excellent. Esther didn't think she could help. Excellent. So you want to say that's an example of a lack of self-esteem? Excellent. Good. Elsewhere else? Sorry, what you're going to say. Right, Same, same, same idea. Beautiful. Good. And yes. Haman, what, what do you mean by Haman? Good, meaning he, he, over, he, he overcompensated, right? Arrogant, haughty, maybe too much self esteem, too much pride. Good, where else? In what sense? In the beginning, when she was obsessed with her beauty and her appearance. Beautiful, excellent, excellent. The truth is, self esteem plays a pivotal role in every single one of the characters of the Megillah. But let's start for a moment with the one that no one mentioned. Who did no one mention? Is your hand up in the back? Achashverosh. <laughs> what do you mean, Achashverosh? Incredible. Let's 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 go with that point. For all excellent answers. Let me pick. <proport> wonderful. This is a very like build each other up Chebra. That's great. Excellent. Excellent. You do that in class also. I want to know. So let's talk for a moment about Achashverosh. Because there is an amazing exchange in the beginning of the Megillah. We're all familiar in the beginning of the Megillah where Achashverosh is making a party for the men, Vashti is making a party for the women, and Achashverosh summons Vashti to appear in his party. And if you look at the Megillah, you'll notice something fascinating. Every single time Achashverosh summons Vashti, he always calls her, Vashti Hamalka. And every single time Vashti responds, she always responds as, Hamalka Vashti. And the Malbin says something absolutely amazing. The Malbin was saying, you know, sometimes you learn a lot about people, not even in what they say, but in how they say it. Ahasuerus calls his wife Vashti the queen. Because essentially what he's telling her is, you're not a queen. You're a queen because you're married to me. You're married to me. And Vashti, when she responds to her husband, she says, oh no, 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 no. That's not true actually. You're the king because you're married to me. Remember between the two of them, who was real royalty? Vashti. Right, she was the great granddaughter of Nebuchadnezzar. Who was Haman? And in fact, the Gemara Maseches Megillah records the incredibly difficult conversation that the two of them had, where Vashti calls her husband a stable boy. She said, "You are nothing. You are not royalty. However, you rose through the ranks. You rose through the ranks, but you didn't earn this. That's not really that throne is not really yours. It doesn't belong to you. You are an outsider. You know. You ever have an experience when someone says something to you and it hurts you to?" Your core. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands because I'm sure we've all had experiences like that. And the truth is, when someone says something to you that's really hurtful, when does it hurt most? What? When it, I just heard someone whisper it. When it's true. You know, sometimes people say hurtful things to us and they're not true, and I can let it slide. And sometimes someone says something hurtful to me and it hurts, but the truth is, it's true. Vashti says to Achazirosh, "You're not royalty." You're not a king. You don't belong here. And the truth is, Achashverosh deep down feels that's absolutely true. See, Achashverosh fundamentally suffers from a lack of self esteem. And what happens in life when you don't have self esteem? And this is incredibly important. What happens when you don't have self esteem? What do you do? People who lack self-esteem, hopefully no one here suffers from it. But if you lack self-esteem, how do people who lack self-esteem compensate for that? What do they do? I'm sorry? Put other people down. Number one, excellent, excellent. How else? They try to prove that they do have self-esteem, right? Absolutely. They overcompensate. And who do they often align themselves with? When a person lacks self-esteem, who do they generally gravitate to? Those who they admire. I'm sorry? Those who, they admire. Those who they admire. Good. Who else? Power. Power. Who else? Those who, have that they don't. Those who have qualities that they don't. Excellent. Who else? Oh, great, by the way, all oh, great answers. Incredible. I'm happy I came. I'm learning so much. Baruch Hashem. And Who else? They also gravitate to people who build them up. Right? When I lack self-esteem, everybody wants to feel that they're worthy. And everyone wants to feel that they matter. And everyone wants to feel that they're important. So when I don't feel that way, I'm going to gravitate towards people who allow me to feel that way. What does Ahasuerus do? Ahasuerus lacks self-worth. He lacks self-esteem because the truth is he realized... That the words that his wife said, as biting, as as critical as they were, they were true. So first of all, how does Achashverosh deal with Vashti? Right? Done. Right? It kind of takes her out of the picture, right? She's out. She's out. That's one way to deal with lack of self-esteem. And you ever wonder when you read the Megillah? You know, Haman comes along to Achashverosh. And he says to Achashverosh, something so interesting. There is this nation, Yeshno am echad, Mephuzar, Bina Amim. There's this one nation and they're scattered and they're dispersed and the king, they don't listen to you, they don't keep our customs, they're not really part of society, you know what? You should just annihilate them. By the way, what's missing from Haman's speech to the king? What's missing? Only one little piece of information, which is, who are the people that he's referring to? Haman does, we know it's the Jews, but Haman never once makes reference to Am Yisrael. He never says it's the Jewish people. He just says there's this nation. And here Ahasuerus is willing to go ahead and literally annihilate an entire people. Go ahead and eradicate men, women, and children from within his country. Why? Why? Okay, so it's easy to say, oh, Ahasuerus is an anti-Semite. He hated Jews. Maybe, maybe yes, maybe no. I don't know. How is it that Ahasuerus is willing to go ahead and go along with this plan to annihilate men, women, and children without even knowing who it is that he's ready to annihilate. Why was he willing to do it? He He lacked self-esteem. And you know what? Haman built him up. You see, Haman told the king every single thing he wanted to hear. You're the king, you're powerful. These people, they don't respect you. They don't this. Haman was a master manipulator. And Haman understood that Ahashverosh lacked self-esteem. He understood it. He absolutely understood it. And he played on it. Or better stated, he prayed on it. With an E, not an A. He prayed on it. And he manipulated the king by making the king feel all chashiv. And once he manipulated that lack of self-esteem, once he manipulated that, then ultimately again Ahashverosh, was like putty in his hands. And Ahasuerus was willing to do anything and everything. By the way, where else do you see Achashverosh's lack of self-esteem? Right? Remember, Ahasuerus chooses Esther to marry her. What does Ahasuerus know about Esther? What does he know about her? Nothing. Nothing. Right? He doesn't remember again. We're not even sure of Esther's name, right? Is it Esther? Is it Hadassah? What's her name? Where is she from? Who's her people? Who's her family? Nothing. Says the Malbim again, this was the perfect shidduch for Achashverosh, because Achashverosh, when you suffer from self-esteem or lack of self-esteem, you don't want anyone to make you feel even less. So the best person to marry, the best shidduch, the best wife, anonymous. She's not a threat. She's not a. She's nothing. It's no challenge to my already eroded self sense of self-esteem. But this is Achashverosh. A man who lacks self-esteem. A man who lacks self-worth. And when you lack self-worth and you lack self-esteem, there is no telling what trouble you can get yourself into. But here's the incredible thing about self-esteem. Where's the only place you can get self-esteem from? The only place? Yourself. Excellent. There's only one address for self-esteem. Hopefully you have parents who believe in you. And hopefully you have teachers and a Hanhala that believes in you, which I'm sure you do. But at the end of the day, the only person who can make you believe in you, the only person who could endow you with a sense of self-esteem, is you. Self-esteem is a choice. I want to tell you an incredible story. In our Shul baruch Hashem... So we try every Shabbos to have a beautiful, like a Kalbach type of Kabbalah Shabbos. Really beautiful, a lot of singing. And at the end of the Chadodi, we dance, and there's a very sweet boy in my shul. He has he has Down syndrome. So we just started really coming to shul Friday night recently, and a few weeks ago, after and he also he just he loves to talk to me right in the middle of davening. Comes over to me, starts talking. It's great, sweet, beautiful neshama. We finished dancing after the And he comes over to me and says, Rabbi Silber, I just want to tell you. And this isn't in a no whisper, by the way. This is a little bit, I just want to tell you. I'm so happy. I said, Wonderful. I said, Why are you so happy? He said, listen to his words. He says, Because I know that I am just the way Hashem wants me to be. I know that I am just the way Hashem wants me to be. I'll tell you girls, in that moment, it took all of my strength. And then he hugged me, and he's a bear hugger. You know bear huggers? You know, like people who they get on, and they don't let go. This is one of those awkwardly long hugs, I'm not going to lie, right? But here... I thought, shalom. I'm so privileged in my life to have so many wonderful Rebbeim, to have so many incredible teachers, so many incredible role models. But I learned from this young boy a more profound lesson that I've ever learned in my entire life. I am happy because I know I am how Hashem wants me to be. That's where self-esteem comes from. We have to learn to become happy with who we are, because who we are and how we are is how Hashem wants us to be. And this is incredibly important, because in Yiddishkeit, we often have a little bit of this tension. On one hand, we're growth-oriented. We're growth-oriented, right? And when you're a growth-oriented person, I always want to be better. I always want to be more. I always want to accomplish. And that's incredible. And we should always be growth oriented each and every day. But there's a danger sometimes in the growth oriented personality, which is that we forget how to be happy with who we are. You know, it's difficult growing up in today's world. It really is. And I think it's especially difficult if you're a young woman. And I think it's especially difficult if you are from young woman, because there are so many different expectations, expectations within Yiddishkeit, expectations within society. Often those expectations clash. And sometimes we feel that we're not whole and we feel like we don't have worth and we feel like we don't matter. I want to grow. I want to be and I'm not there yet. But a person has to work on having positive self-esteem as well. You know, a person, since I had this interaction with this boy, every day I try to to think about this yisod, that I have to be happy with how Hashem made me. I have to find the happiness in who I am. Not a happiness in who I'm going to become. Not a happiness in who I might evolve into. I always want to grow. I always want to change. I always want to evolve. But I also have to find the happiness in who I am right now. Am I happy with me? If I look in the mirror, am I happy with the person who is looking back at me? And it's tragic to see how many people are unhappy with who they are. And when you're unhappy with who you are, you lack self-esteem you lack confidence. And the moment you lack self-esteem and you lack confidence, you end up making terrible life decisions. Because sometimes we think that this will give me confidence, this will give me happiness, this will make me feel better about myself. And so often, the decisions we make from a place of a lack of self-esteem, of a lack of confidence, of a lack of self-worth, sometimes the worst decisions we make in our lives. That's Achashverosh. You want to sum up Achashverosh in one sentence, in one line. A man who makes decisions from a place of no self-confidence and no self-esteem. And we see how that worked out for him. So message number one in Migila Sester is you have to work on positive self-esteem. No one's going to give it to you. The only way you can have it in life is if you choose it. And it sounds a little bit corny but to take a little bit of time each day and to say, you know what? I'm happy with who I am. You know, Rabbi Nachman Breslov says something amazing. He says, there's a mitzvah we know, dinas kala adam What does it mean, Hebeidanes kala adam What does it mean? Give, judge people favorably, give people the benefit of the doubt. So if I were to ask you, give me an example of giving someone the benefit of the doubt. Give me an example of it. No one here gives people the benefit of the doubt. I'm sorry. Right. Give me an example of somebody giving someone the benefit of the doubt. Any suggestions? I'll give you an example. You see someone walking into a non kosher restaurant. Okay? Right? You see someone walking into a non kosher restaurant. So, you have two possibilities as to the way you could understand their actions. Possibility one? What? They're eating non kosher. Possibility two? going to use the restroom, maybe going to get something to drink, right? So, dan l'kafsuchos, dan l'kaf means going ahead and when you see someone, do- the way we understand it, when you see someone doing something wrong, instead of ascribing negative motivations to their actions, try to see something positive in what they're doing. But Rabbi Nachman asks a good question. What happens if it's not possible? In other words, let me paint the other scenario for you person walks into the non-kosher restaurant and they come out holding non-kosher food. And not only that, as you're watching, you see them take a bite into it. Is there any positive spin you could put on that? I guess you could say, well, maybe they didn't know it's not kosher. Maybe they thought chazir was, I don't know. But no, right? Rabbi Nachman. what do you do in a situation where I see someone committing an Aveira? I see someone committing an Aveira. I see it. And there's no possible positive narrative to what it is that you're doing. Rabbi Nachman says something so profound. You know what you do? You try to find something else positive in that person. Being done lekaf Zuchus doesn't always mean finding a positive narrative for every single event. Because some things are just sinful. Some things are just wrong. Being down the kaf sometimes mean I know what that person is doing is wrong, but at the end of the day, let me focus on something positive. Right now, they're eating that non kosher item, but you know what? I also happen to know they're a good friend. I happen to know this person does a lot of chesed. They give tzedakah. He or she daven's with kavana. When you see someone failing, find something positive about them and says Rabbi Nachman. We have to do the same thing for ourselves. Because sometimes when we look in the mirror, all we see is the totality of our faults, of our misdeeds, of our mistakes, of our wrong turns in life. And says Rabbi Nachman, it is equally as important. You have to to be aware of my faults and my shortcomings. But it's equally as important to be aware of the goodness you possess. Haveidanis color of them, including yourself, Lakaf Sakhus. We all fall, we all fail. But look for something positive inside of yourself. And the reason this is so incredibly important is because if all I'm focused on are my failures, if all I'm focused on is my misdeeds, then I'll have no confidence, I'll have no self-esteem, I'll have no self-worth. And like we just said before. Once that happens, unfortunately, it opens the door to all kinds of negative behaviors. And this, I think, is a profound lesson on Megillah Sester. The need to work on self-worth and positive self-esteem. To take time every single day to look in the mirror and say, you know what? There are great things about me. There are some negative things also. There are things I have to work on there are things I have to tweak, maybe there are things I even have to get rid of, but there's so much good inside of me as well. We have to build ourselves up. And by the way, you can't rely on other people to build you up. Because sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. You can't rely on other people to give you self-esteem. You can't rely on other people to give you confidence. The only person who is responsible for your sense of self-esteem and your confidence is you. And the only person who could help instill that in you is you. And this, I think, is a profound lesson from Megillah Esther. Let me give you another lesson from the Megillah. In one of the most dramatic moments of the Megillah, Mordechai hears about the decree of Haman. And remember again, what does he do when he hears about the decree? He goes to Esther. And what does he ask Esther to do? What does he ask her to do? Speak to the king. And what does Esther say? What does Esther say? What's Esther's first response? Reshmach get, get killed. right? Which was a very nice way of saying what? No. no. Esther says no. Esther says no. Again, okay, she doesn't say no straight out. She says, you know, everyone knows if you go to the king without being summoned, you could be killed. But it was a nice way of telling Mordecai, I'm not going. And do you remember again what Mordecai's response is? Excellent. He gives her, it's actually a multifaceted response. He says to her, number one, if you decide not to do anything, it's okay. You know what? Does a Baruch Hu need us? Does Hashem need us? Hashem doesn't need us. Hashem gives us the privilege to be the utensils of His handiwork. He gives us the privilege to help, so to speak, cause certain things to come to fruition. So Mordecai says to Esther, if you don't act now, it's okay. God will find a different agent. But I want to show you what he says at the end. After he says to Esther, if you don't do it, someone else will. But he says, But you and your father's home will be lost. And who knows, maybe it was for this moment that you became the queen. And the Malbim, once again, the Malbim of Megillah says, is beautiful, the Malbim says, I don't understand, why does Mordechai say to Esther, if you don't act now, you and your father's home are going to be lost? You know what, if there's one Jew who is safe in the Persian Median Empire too... It's Esther. Esther's fine. Esther is fine. The king is smitten with her right. He's in love. The, Esther is totally safe and secure. And meanwhile, Mordecai says, Esther, if you don't act now, you and your father's home will be lost forever. And who knows, maybe it was for this moment that you became queen. And here the Malbim says something absolutely amazing. Malbim says, sometimes Hashem puts us in this world to accomplish one thing in one moment. And sometimes Hashem brings about multiple generations just to bring about one person to accomplish one thing in one moment. And you know what the crazy thing is? If you miss your moment, you run the risk of denying meaning to your own life and to all of those who came before you. Mordechai says to Esther HaMalka, maybe the whole reason your parents, your grandparents, your great-grandparents existed was to bring you, Esther, into this world. And maybe the whole reason, Esther, you exist, the whole reason for your life is so that you could do something for Am Yisrael in this world moment. Esther, if you don't want to go, that's fine. Hashem will find another agent of salvation. Hashem will find someone else. But my dear Esther, if you don't go now, you run the risk of missing your moment. And when you miss your moment in life, sometimes you never get it back. And sometimes when you miss your moment, the whole purpose of your existence simply flutters away. And I've always been struck by this Malvin, Because the truth is, life is filled with moments. I think about any given day, how many opportunities we have. It's opportunities for a variety of things. How many opportunities we have for chesed? How many opportunities we have for shalom? How many opportunities we have for achdus? How many opportunities we have ben adam lamakom, ben adam l'chaviroh? And sometimes when the opportunities come, we kind of just let them go by. Sometimes opportunities to accomplish great things in life come about. And when I say great, by the way, great doesn't have to mean things that everyone knows about. And great doesn't have to mean things that grab headlines. Sometimes the greatest things in life are the things that no one else knows and will ever know about. But there are moments that make such a difference. And what Megillah mm-hmm. teaches us is how careful we have to be with the moments of life. You know, one of, my, one of my favorite phrases is Carpe Diem. To seize the day. Seize the day. You know, people, there are people who go through life and they're simply going through life Passing the time. Passing the time. Right? And you know, in today's day and age, it's so easy to pass time. Right? Remember, again, we all know this person again, especially Baruch Hashem, you know, the technology we have contemporarily is such an incredible opportunity that HaKadosh Baruch Hu has given us. Incredible opportunity. I'll tell you, just on a personal I came here, of course I came here to speak at the school, Baruch Hashem, but in addition to that, I came here last night for a Simon Dath I'm privileged to give daf yomi every day, Baruch Hashem. And the shir is broadcast on Zoom and on YouTube. And again, I stayed by the Ram Mishpach of Baruch Hashem. And it's amazing. There are people who I learn with every single day who I don't even know. I just met them for the first time last night, Baruch Hashem. So technology has incredibly positive uses. But what's the danger of technology? Let's be honest. This is a safe space, right? What's the danger of technology? What's the danger? I'm sorry, getting addicted to it. So what's wrong with getting addicted to it? What's wrong? See, exactly. You see, I think often with the technology discussion, people often focus on content. There's terrible content, and it's true. You have to be so careful. You have to be so careful with content, and you have to place for yourself the right gidarim, the right protective fences, that if you're going to have technology what are the proper fences to ensure that you use technology but I want to tell you something else you could have a phone that is filtered from here until your Moshiach, right? and you could have all the gidarim, but you know there's still a danger and it's the danger of bizbuz hazman it's the danger of watching the minutes the hours the days simply slip away, I want to tell you I get Musser every single week. Not just from my wife, but I, I get Musser. You know when the greatest Musser comes? On my iPhone. Sunday morning, I get a report, right, about usage. How much time? How much time I spent on my phone the previous week. And if you click on the button, which I just stopped doing because it's just too depressing for me, right? You can get a breakdown. You get a breakdown. Here's the amount of time he spent on email, text, WhatsApp, YouTube, internet. Right? You could get a whole breakdown. And I look at it. I'm like, oh my gosh. If I only utilized my time better, I'd be a Talmud Chacham. I'd be a better husband. I'd be a more attentive father. My davening would be better. I don't, I don't mean giving up. All, I have to be on technology for my work, for what I do, but I don't giving it up. I mean, if I was just like a little bit more disciplined and had a little bit more control and cared about my time, cared about my time just a little bit more, how much more meaningful my life would be. But I have no doubt that there are moments that come about each and every day, and as the moments are coming by, I'm usually looking down. The moment is right here, and I usually just don't see it. And often, by the time I pick my head up, the moment has simply moved on. And that's what Mordechai was saying to Esther. If you don't seize the moment, it's okay; someone else will. But Esther, maybe this is your moment. Maybe this is your moment. Maybe this is the moment that you were created and maybe this is the moment why your parents were created your grandparents were created and Esther if you miss your moment Klan Yisrael is not dependent on you Harbe Shluchim Yesh Lomakam has many agents but if you miss this moment you run the risk of denying meaning to your entire life and girls what an incredible lesson and profound lesson for us about how careful we have to be with our moments you know in a school how often does it happen Let's be honest. I don't know how it is here. Hopefully it's not like this here. But in too many schools, there's an in crowd and there's an other crowd. There are popular kids and there are unpopular kids. There are people who are in the chevra and there are people who are in the periphery on the margins. And every once in a while, if you're one of the in kids and you see someone by the sidelines, do you go over and say, hello? Do you go over and try to engage? Do you go over and try to make a difference? You know, the Baal said that when you see something that is broken in this world, Hashem is allowing you to see it because He knows you can fix it. If you see it, you can do something about it. If you see it, you can address it. Life is filled with magnificent moments of aliyah. Life is filled with incredible moments where we can make a difference in this world. But we have to seize them. You have to make a conscious decision to grab the moment, to the diem, to seize the day, to actualize the opportunity. Because the moments present themselves to us. You could take them or you could let them slip by. One last lesson with this I'll conclude. the Gemara Maseches Megillah records an incredible, incredible discussion. The Gemara says that after the Purim story, Esther says to the Chachamim, she says to the rabbis, Kisvuni Ladoros, or Kivuni Ladoros, two different splines in the Gemara. Esther says to the Chachamim, I want you to go ahead and establish me as a Yomtiv. Make me a Yomtiv. Make Purim a Yomtiv. And not only that, I want you to make Megillah as Esther into one of the Sifrei Tanach. And the great Tzadik, Rabbi Yitzchak, Heber asks, What gaiva? What arrogance? This is what Esther is saying to the Chachamim? Make me a Yontiv? Make me one of the Sifrei Tanach? What's going on over here? And Rebbe Yitzchak says something so profoundly beautiful. The Rebbe says, that Esther is saying to the Chachamim, No, 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 this is not about my gaiva. But Esther says, my story should serve as an inspiration for every Jew in the future. Because think about this in just a moment. How does Esther's life start? How are we first introduced to Esther? The first thing we know about Esther is, first piece of information that Megillah gives us about Esther is, she didn't have parents. Right? Rabbi Yitzchak says, when you looked at a girl like Esther, no parents, probably not only no parents, but what's Esther's name? What's Esther's name? What's her name? Esther. Esther. Or? Good, which one is it? Or? Esther. Good, possibly. All right. Isn't it bizarre that we don't know what her real name is? See, Esther starts out life with no parents with no defined identity. And if you were to take a snapshot of Esther as a young girl, you would say chances are, she's not really going to amount to much. How could she? No supportive family network, already Jews living in Gullus, a little bit of identity ambiguity. What could we possibly expect from this young woman? Yet Esther becomes, goes on to become one of the strongest Jewish women Chalda Yisrael has ever seen. By the way, what, what, what training did Esther have for her role as queen? What, what training? What experience? What experience? Zero. And isn't it incredible that a young woman who, remember, didn't want to be queen, was taken against her will to the king's beauty pageant, was married to a man she did not want to be married with, is is somehow navigating and orchestrating and choreographing this entire thing. She's going ahead and inviting everybody to parties, we get everybody in the room together. There's no the, the Esther plan is the play it by your plan. Let's just get everybody together and hopefully HaKadosh Baruch Hu is gonna help us navigate this. Esther, when you looked at her as a girl, came from nothing. From nothing. And she goes on to become one of the architects of Cloud Israel's salvation. And so says Rebbe Yitzhak Berditchov, when Esther says to the Chachamim, Kisvuni l'dolos, include my story in Tanakh, Kivuni l'dolos, make my story a yumtiv, make Purim a yumtiv, it's not her covid. She's saying, let my story inspire Klal Yisrael. And let my story remind every single Jew that no matter how lowly your beginnings no matter how difficult your life may be, no matter how overwhelming your circumstances may be, you can make yourself into something if you try. That's the message of Megillah Esther. You might start out life with no mother and no father, no family, no one to look after you, no one to give you guidance. You might start life without a fully formed identity. Are you Esther? Are you Hadassah? But if you don't give up and you put your mind to it, there is no telling what you can accomplish. We often don't choose the circumstances of our lives, right? We don't choose the family we're born into. We don't choose the upbringing that we receive. We don't choose if we get a lot of love, don't get any love, get some love. We often don't choose the opportunities that are presented to us. But we do make the choice to either give up or to push forward. And that's the lesson that Esther HaMalka wanted, memorialized for all eternity. You can't choose the circumstances of your life, but your life becomes, you become, who you choose to make yourself. And I think now if we loop this back, I have spoken to you too long already, but if we loop this back, now we understand the Rambam. How did we start 40 minutes ago? Right, how did we start forty minutes ago? The Rambam says, What's gonna happen? A little review, what's gonna happen when Mashiach comes? What happens to the books of Nach? What happens? Right, They're bottle. Except for Megillah Esther. And now I think we understand. Because Megillah Esther is not simply a story of salvation. It's not simply the story of Klay Yisrael being saved from certain annihilation. Megillah's Esther is a book. It's a Megillah of successful living. Megillah Esther teaches us these three powerful lessons. Number one, you need to cultivate positive self-esteem. See the good in yourself. Don't rely on anyone else to make you feel good about you. You have to feel good about you. You have to find happiness in who you are. You have to see the good inside of yourself. Because if you look to it for other people, like Ahashverosh, it could lead you to make terrible life decisions. Lesson number one, the, posit, the power of positive self-esteem. Lesson number two, life is filled with meaningful moments. We just have to keep our eyes up and open to see them and find the courage to grab them. Because if I'm always distracted, then I may miss my moment. And lesson number three, no matter how difficult your circumstances may be, no matter how overwhelming at times life may feel, you can make of yourself what and who you choose to be. This was why Esther Hamaka wanted her story memorialized for all ages. Not for her gaiva, not for her ego, but for the inspiration that she affords us. So we should be Zoha over this Yom of Purim. To emir first of all, feel the great joy of the day, incredible joy of the day, right? I hear that for you also, you're coming out of COVID. In the United States, we finished COVID already. Right? Hashem, good. Hopefully you're coming out of it soon. Emir To use this Purim, to feel real simcha, to feel real joy, to feel real elevation. And when we listen to the Megillah, to internalize these lessons, and maybe, if we take the lessons of the Megillah, we'll be Zoha to come to that time with the Ramam describes... A Mashiach will come. The books of Nach will no longer hold the same relevance for us, but we will always keep Megillah Esther with all of its lessons in our hand and in our heart. Thank you, Anafrayla from time. Thank you Shoban, for inspiring these incredible